Well, tonight we're going to talk about the will. The will. And, uh, and uh, we're going to talk about the will. And what we mean by this is the will of the new covenant. Uh, the word covenant and the word will are used a little bit interchangeably, especially in the book of Hebrews chapter 9. And, uh, but we're going to just talk about how God uh, grants to us his blessings as he communicates to us his will and how Jesus ratified the will and testament of God to us, so to speak. And, and uh, you'll catch on. You know, last wills and testaments are very important, aren't they? And they're important in our society. And, um, you know, I, I was reading just uh, this afternoon about J.P. Morgan, uh, about his last will and testament. You know, he's a very wealthy man back in the early 1900s. And it's my understanding that in his last will and testament, he actually revealed his faith in Christ. Um, he prefaced his, all of his specific bequests uh, with this statement. Let me read it to you. It was uh, really stunning to me. He says, I commit, this is a man at the end of his life, all right, or having thinking, thought about the end of his life, and he's writing final words. You know, final words are important, amen? And he says, I commit my soul into the hands of my Savior in full confidence that having received it and washed it in his most precious blood, he will present it faultless before the throne of my heavenly Father. And I entreat my children to maintain and defend at all hazard and at any cost of personal sacrifice, the blessed doctrine of the complete atonement for sin through the blood of Jesus Christ once offered and through that alone. Now, isn't that amazing? Such a wealthy man gave a wonderful testimony uh, right in his will. Amen. And they are important in our society. So, uh, some of what I'm going to talk to you tonight, of course, it is directly from Pastor Ron's notes. And if you download the notes off of uh, off of the uh, ifmypeoplewill.com site, then you'll, you'll have all those notes and you'll hear what I'm actually saying. Um, for the purpose of this teaching, I want us to uh, think about uh, the universe as a giant court and uh, where God is the supreme judge. And of course, we all know he is the judge, amen. Even scripture calls him the judge. And in fact, he also says that all judgment is committed unto the Son. All authority is given unto the Son as well. Well, basically, the Bible kind of paints a picture uh, with Jesus as our advocate, our attorney, if you will, and uh, Satan as the accuser. In fact, that's what his name means, Hasatan, in Hebrew means the accuser, okay? And uh, scriptures tell us that we're also surrounded about by a great cloud of witnesses from Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, and that and records are being kept which contain every thing that you and I have done. And a uh, sobering thing to think about, isn't it, that uh, even Jesus said we will give account for every idle or empty word that we have spoken. It's good that we uh, set a watch, O Lord, before my lips, amen, and guard the, the words of my tongue so that I, I will speak less and less of words that are empty. Well, every individual one day will stand before God's throne, God's judgment seat, and the judgment seat of Christ, and the books will be opened, the Lamb's book of life and the book of life, and evidence will be presented and testimony given, and records will be reviewed by the great court of heaven. 
And um, these proceedings will be extremely intense, don't you think? And they should be. should be very sobering for all of us and concerning to so many because of all the decisions that the court makes. They will all be final. There is no going back once the decision's made. It's done because God is the final judge. Amen. And we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, then the good. Some of you know the scripture. All right. So it's important for us to understand. Matthew 25 carries the motif of the last and final judgment. Revelation 20 and 21 shows us the final and last judgment. And um, so we know that this awaits us in our future. You know, uh, just in the natural, uh, when a person accumulates, inherits, or possesses a great amount of worth and wealth, it's wise to prepare a last will and testament. Amen? And I would encourage you, you know, many, many great resources are lost to families and to the kingdom of God because you or I did not make out a will and take advantage of the laws of our country that allow us to pass on an inheritance to our children and our children's children. And this is vital. And you'd say, well, you know, I'm only 20 years old. I don't plan on dying tomorrow. But you do not know what a day will bring forth, all right? So I would suggest that you make out a will. And uh, you don't have to pay a lawyer $4,000 to do it, although if you so desire, you may. But there's other lawyers that are cheaper. And um, <clears throat> you can also do it on the internet and that sort of thing and just make sure it's notarized properly. You know all the procedures. You know, talk to somebody that knows. But get one done. I don't care if you're five or you're 50. Well, maybe the five-year-old can wait. But, you know, it's important to make out a will. So just on, the, just on the practical, natural aspects of things, make out a will. How many of you actually have a will? Let me see your hands. Okay, good. The rest of you need to get on it right away. Okay? You know, I never met a person who regretted that they made out a will. <laughs> Or that their loved one made out a will. Very, very important. Because the state can very quickly, suddenly, take what you worked hard for all your life and desired to give to your family. All because you didn't use the proper legal protection to guard yourself. Okay? So, the idea is, well, God made out a will, so let's do it. Amen. Okay. I'll get off the hobby horse. All right. Now, providing that the last will and testament uh, is, uh, meets legal criteria, it is binding upon the state of the individual. And at death or any time thereafter as prescribed, assets and authorities thereunto transfer to others according to the provision of a will. <clears throat> last wills and testaments can only be changed by the person who made the will and therefore only before they die. Without respect to what anybody else says, feels, or believes should happen, the written will stands as a testimony and is backed by the whole force of law. If you don't have a will, it's reasonable that you consider making one. Amen. So we've been caught, given a copy of God's will. First, there's a copy of his old will and covenant or testament, as well as a copy of the new covenant or will. They aren't contradictory. They complement each other. Amen. And in many real sense, the New Testament 
uh, expands and expounds on the old covenant. It adds clarification and strengthens the tenets and the conditions and that sort of thing and opens up wide vistas of blessing to us if we will just become subject to the Lord's will. Amen. Romans 8, 17, it says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. God calls us and says, hey, in Jesus, you are an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. A lot of us kind of want to skip across that next phrase, if indeed we suffer with him. Uh, because we don't want to suffer for the name of Jesus or suffer because we're identified with the name of Jesus. But you know, if you're really going to inherit everything God intends you to, you have to at least be willing to suffer for the name of Christ. Amen. Well, both the Old and New Testaments name God's children as heirs, uh, beginning, uh, beginning with his only begotten son. The New Testament specifically names every born-again believer not only as an heir of God, but also as a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Galatians 4, verses 2 through 7, tells us, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. But he's under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father, now you are no longer a slave but a son, in verse 7, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Amen. Now the word uh, here that's talking about guardianship in Galatians 4 is actually uh, semantically related to the one that's used earlier, Galatians 3, 24 and 25. We're not going to throw that up there. But those of you that are teachers know the word pedagogy, right? How many of you know the word pedagogy? All right. Well, pedagogy is actually from a Greek word that is used in Galatians 3, 24 and 25, and then is semantically related to another word that's used in the verses we just cited in Galatians 4. The heirs of God, as long as they are young and immature children, differ nothing from a servant in practice and authority, but rather are placed under tutors and governors and guardians, again, pedagogists, uh, until the time of the appointed of the Father, when they have grown up and their inheritance has come fully under their control. This is true even though the child is legally heir and therefore Lord of all. See, we're born again and uh, we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, but there's a sense in which when we become mature in Christ, then we begin to experience some more of the inheritance that God has intended for us. Amen? Now, of course, in context, this is talking about how uh, the Old Testament believers were under the pedagogy of the law until Christ came, and uh, through Christ, then we are made full heirs and joint heirs. Amen. So then Proverbs 20, 21 says, an inheritance gained hastily at the beginning will not be blessed at the end. Proverbs admonishes us from the wisdom of God to understand that an inheritance received too early in life can be easily misused, squandered, and ultimately wasted away. I'm certain that God not only distributes his wisdom to mankind, but also follows this wisdom himself, setting appointed times to which are tied the release of greater authority and exercise of our inheritance. 
and these things are set according to the written will and testament of God. In other words, in the fullness of time, Christ came. And so there's a sense in which God doesn't let an inheritance manifest itself until all things are ready, amen? But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth a son made of a woman, Jesus Christ. The person who makes their last will and testament is called the testator. Testator. I don't even know if they use this in legal jargon anymore. Do they, Margaret? Do you know? They don't use it. Um, They use it in Old English, however. This word is not in the common vocabulary of most English-speaking people. Nevertheless, it is written in our key scripture tonight, or at least the New King James Version of this scripture, for where there is a testament or a covenant, a will, this is Hebrews 9.16, where there is a testament, covenant, or will, there must of necessity be the the death of the testator. Okay? And the testator is also means the covenant maker or the will maker, okay? So, in other words, this is something we all know. Uh, it didn't matter that J.P. Morgan had a wonderful will ascribed to his uh, heirs, right? Uh, as long as he was alive, the will did not come into full function, did it, right? They were, they were heirs of all that he intended. They were positionally heirs, but it did not come into effect until his death. So there's a sense in which we do not, we were not heirs of God and joint heirs until the death of Christ, who is the one who made the will to begin with. Amen. God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. So God was the covenant maker. He was the will maker. He was the testator. But God himself cannot die. Therefore, Jesus, God in Christ, died for us. Amen. So it's very interesting and uh, an interesting picture in the sense that God came himself and died on the cross for us. He was the will maker and yet he also died in Christ and Christ was also in that sense because he was God, the will maker. And, and yet he was the ratifier of the covenant. He was the promiser, and he was the guy that made it happen. And then we, by faith, come under that and become heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. So when a person is saved, they become a new creation in Christ, right? At that point, we're born again into the family of God. And as God's children, we hold eternal legal rights of inheritance to the things of God. Amen. This is a great promise. This is a great blessing. The Bible tells us there are great and effectual promises made out to us because of our association with Jesus Christ, not the least of which is forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Amen. So then, when we're saved, we're born again into the family of God. As God's children, we hold these rights of inheritance And God has made this very plain, written in his will, that was sealed by the blood of Jesus. Amen. So every child of God holds legal claim to eternal life, and this right supersedes all other claims against his soul. The devil may stand before God as the accuser and say, you cannot allow him to have eternal life or to be uh, invited into heaven's courts. You cannot allow it because of the sin that's in his life. But the attorney in residence, amen, Jesus Christ, our attorney, 
The word advocate in 1 John is attorney, amen, which incidentally is the same word that's used for the Holy Spirit, our attorney, our advocate. It's in the old King James, it's called our comforter, but he's really our advocate, our lawyer, who stands in our place, amen. So many wonderful nuances there, we don't have time to go into them all, but anyway. He stands in our place in front of the accuser, amen, and says, no, uh, uh, my will and testament declares, and my blood was shed, I died, and the blood is not only the ratifying agent of the covenant, but it's also the agent by which this person is cleansed from sin because of their faith in me, amen. And so as a result, then Satan and and no one else, the court of heaven that might be arrayed against you, so to speak, the court that's gathered before the throne of God, cannot be against you. You are declared innocent because of the blood. Amen. And so you are then welcomed into the kingdom of God and ushered into eternal life because of your standing as an heir of God and a joint heir with Christ. All your rights supersede all other claims to your soul. The new covenant promises come about because of the blood. Every person will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Without regard as to the evidence, testimony, or record against them, the will shall prevail. Amen. So we're on good ground, aren't we? Amen. We're standing on good ground, providing that we have been born again. All debt will be considered paid, all of our sin debt paid in full by the blood of Christ, and we are accepted in the beloved of God forever, and this is just only one provision that's part of God's will. Just the forgiveness of sins is just one provision. How many of you know you got many more? Amen. Many, many, many more benefits as a result. The will of God also grants access to healing, health, mercy, forgiveness, peace, prosperity, hope, and help of all sorts. God's storehouse holds abundant blessings which have been passed on to God's children through the provision of his will in the light of the death of Christ. The whole world and all creation belong to God and everything is finally subject to his will. Amen. You know, I want to tell you something about, uh, a little bit about this aspect of will and that is that, uh, in thinking in terms of it being a covenant, okay? In the Bible days, especially in the Old Testament, there were covenants that were drawn up that were called suzerain covenants. S-U-Z-E-R-A-I-N. Suzerain. Everybody say suzerain. Suzerain covenants were drawn up by great kings. And the great kings that were superior to the conquered people or people that were under their governance, they would declare that they were going to make a covenant with their vassal people. Everybody say vassal? Okay, vassal, you know, they're subservient peoples, okay? So you have ancient Near Eastern Hittite-styled suzerain covenants, okay? Now, what that simply means is this. The big shot gets to call all the shots, okay? 
And when the big shot calls all the shots, he gets to tell the vassal servant nation what he is going to do for them. And one of the first things he does is he announces how great a king he is. Okay? In the preamble to all of these covenants, there are great announcements as to the great king. He's done this. He's done that. You know, his kingdom expands far and wide. And he will be gracious to you. And he will establish his covenant with you. And he will promise you this and this and this. And then he gives the, the, uh, the requirements of the covenants. He say, listen. If you, vassal kingdom, you little people, if you will do this, then I will bless you. But if you do not follow the dictates of the covenant, well, then these curses will come upon you. Does that sound sort of like Deuteronomy 32? Amen? That if you will do this, you'll be blessed. If you do this, you'll be cursed, right? Well, this is what we call a suzerain covenant, okay? Now, this does not differ very much from what we have in the statement of the new covenant in the New Testament, where God, our great king, or Christ, our great king, lays down his covenant requirements, okay? And many times in the passages of scripture, you can identify how God is declaring he's the great king above all the nations, he's over all, and he is laying out his will and the stipulations of his will and says, if you will do this, then I will bless you. If you won't, then you will be cursed, all right? Now, Fortunately for us, everybody that's in Jesus fulfills all the requirements, amen? And the curses have ended when we come to Christ, amen? Now, there are still requirements. The Sermon on the Mount gives us some great requirements of what we need to be, how we need to act because we're part of God's kingdom, amen? But they're fulfilled not because we're trying to fulfill legalistic demands upon us. They're fulfilled because through our love for Christ, the Holy Spirit comes deep into our hearts and empowers us to do the will of God from the heart. Amen. And so then we, but through the covering, covering blood of Christ and the forgiveness of God, we stand in right relationship with Jesus. All of our sins are forgiven. The old stuff's passed away. All things become new. And we apply the scriptures to our minds so that we might learn how we ought to behave ourselves in the house of God. Amen. But we stand as recipients of the blessings of the great King. Now, the difference, though, one of the great differences between what God did for us and what a regular king did is simply this. God did everything himself. This is not a two-way covenant, okay, where I'm, I'm, I'm making an agreement with God, and if God does this, then I'll do that. No, no, no. This is all one-sided. Okay, God himself chose to come to sinful man to die in Christ on the cross to shed his own blood for our sins and then to give us eternal life all simply by faith, not based on my works. Amen. So this is a, a, a God himself gave himself to save us from himself kind of covenant. Amen. Well, the perfect example of this, and I'll get on to our important points in just a minute. 
Here's the perfect example. In Genesis 15, God is talking to Abraham. And Abraham's wondering, how can, uh, can't Eliezer live before you as, as the heir? Where is my heir going to come from? God says to Abraham, no, your heir's not going to be Eliezer, but it's going to be coming from your own loins, from your own flesh and blood. There's going to be an heir in Isaac. Amen. It's going to be the heir. To, it's going to be the inheritance and everything else. And Abraham says, oh boy, what's going to happen here? So God says, I'll tell you what I want you to do, Abraham. I want you to take these animals and I want you to slice them in half, uh, with the exception of the birds. And uh, he slices them in half and he puts, and he fillets them open and he lays the animals half half and half on one side or the other, and there's a trail of blood down the middle. And God says to him, and he announces to himself, announces to Abraham, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a covenant with you, Abraham. And he names out the different things of the covenant and that sort of thing. And the idea of this type of covenant is that they would, the covenantal parties, if they're making this mutual covenant relationship, you know, this mutual uh, contract, they would both walk together down the blood trail and say, if I don't fulfill my part of the bargain here, then may the same thing that happened to these animals happen happened to me or happened to you. Get it? Okay, here's what happened though in Genesis. This is too cool. Don't miss it. Here it is. Here's what it is. At the time when it comes time to walk down the blood trail, what happens to Abraham? He put, God puts a deep sleep on Abraham. He falls asleep. God gives him this amazing dream. And then the scripture says this kind of cryptic thing. It says this, this smoking kettle or whatever it is. I can't remember the exact term. But this, in other words, the presence of God comes down and walks the blood trail. What? With Abraham? Uh-uh. God himself walks the blood trail. And this is a prophetic thing that says, I'm going to bear the curse. I'm the covenant maker. I'm the will maker. I'm bearing the curse. If I don't fulfill what the blood demands, the curse is on me. You know what? God cursed himself in Jesus Christ on the cross so that the blessings of God's covenant could come to you and me. Hallelujah. God himself gave himself to save us from himself. Hallelujah. Amen. So, back to the important points. <laughs> oh, gosh. You have to endure me once more next Wednesday, God willing. <clears throat> important points, number one. Imagine the universe as a great courtroom. God does. He's the judge of all the earth. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Number two, God's last or new will and testament came into force at the death of Christ. Every child of God, number three, is a legal heir of God. Thank you, Jesus, that we have right standing with you. I'm accepted in the beloved. I'm already blessed with all, heavenly, all blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen? So are you. The will of God applies to life on earth and eternal life. We get blessed here and we get blessed later. Amen. And all decisions based on the will are final without appeal and for eternity. So what's the lesson here? If you don't know Jesus, it's time to get right. You do not know what a day may bring forth. Some years ago, I stood 
in the home of a pastor in the Democratic Republic of Congo. The Holy Spirit had impressed on my heart to ask him this question. What is going to happen to your ministry if you die? And he was kind of taken aback, and I said, listen, I, I just feel pressed of the Lord to ask you this question. He said, well, I said, who will take over? He said, well, my wife will. I said, have you told her that? Have you told your leadership that? Have you written down what the plan is in the event that you would die? No, I haven't. I said, will you promise me that you will? Yes, I will. This man, in the first conference that Global Advance did with his ministry, had 5,000 pastors come. He was that influential in that nation. Came back home after that <clears throat> wonderful time we had teaching about 450 pastors. And just a short while after that, we got the word that he had been martyred. He had been poisoned by the enemies of the cross and died a martyr's death. You just don't know what a day is going to bring forth, do you? We're not guaranteed life, <clears throat> but we are guaranteed Jesus. Amen? Amen? And that's life after life. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Holy Father, I thank you for the Word of God, and I pray you just, Lord, just encourage us and uh, help us, Lord, to walk in all of the blessings that you have for us. Thank you for uh, enacting your will upon us through Christ and through his precious blood. We receive it. We ask you to touch and to bless and help us to be conscious of these things so that we'll spend our life for something that really matters for eternity's sake. In Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.